Mac Power Users, Episode 142, WWDC. Welcome back to another episode of the Mac Power Users Podcast. I'm Katie Floyd alongside David Sparks. Hey, David. Hey, Katie. How are you? I'm doing great. And uh, so we kind of lied a little bit because we told everybody that we were going to talk about RSS this show and the demise of Google Reader. And then you went out and did something. Yeah, I watched the WWDC coverage today and I thought it was it had enough new stuff in it that we should probably cover it in Mac Power Users. And then you sent out a tweet. Yeah, and everybody seemed to want us to do that. So uh, so we're we're breaking one of the cardinal rules of Mac Power users? Yeah, I think so, a little bit. I think what we're going to do is talk about uh, some significant changes coming our way with respect to the Mac and the iOS, and talk a little bit about how we see that changing workflows and ideas going into the future. Uh, I know there's a lot of podcasts covering about the same thing, but we're going to try and put our own Mac Power users bent on it. And hopefully you like that. If not, we're going to be back next week talking about RSS in the same nerdy way we always do. Yeah, and we're going to release this show early. Normally, this show wouldn't come out until next Monday, but because it's timely, and it's one of the few things we do timely, we're going to go ahead and release this in the feed early. So just be aware, there's not going to be a new show in your feed on the 17th, Monday the 17th, like you're used to, because you're getting that show now early. So the next show is going to be on Monday, June 24th, when we are going to talk about RSS and the demise of Google Reader, like we promised. So, And the good news is um, there, uh, having researched this now for a couple of weeks and already picked yeah. my favorite service, and I know you have as well, uh, mm-hmm. there's a lot of good solutions. And when that show comes out, if you'll just be patient with us, we're going to give you three or four good places to go. It's not a big deal. It's going to take a few minutes to switch over, in my experience. So yeah, it's, it's okay. A- it's okay. It is going to be okay. It is going to be okay. But, you know, appropriate for this episode, before we get into all the WWDC announcements, um, we pre-recorded an interview with Jean McDonald uh, on a very important project that she's talking about, and she's actually out at WWDC this week. Um, So let's check in with Jean and App Camp for Girls. First, we have to get into something very special. We've got Jean McDonald joining us for a quick update on App Camp for Girls. Welcome, Jean. Hi. Hi, Katie. Hey, David. Thanks for having me. I think the word should be congratulations, Gene. You, you've been <laughs> killing it with the uh, Indiegogo campaign. It's incredible. I have to say, I'm still a little bit in shock um, at how much people want um, to support App Camp for Girls and how excited they are, not just about supporting the campaign, but you know, that I'm getting lots of offers of help and um, ideas of what we should do next, and it's it's great. It's very exciting. So now, the, for those of we, you who missed episode one zero seven, we right. did an interview with Jean, and at the end, she talked about this this um, passion of hers, which is teaching kids uh, or girls how to program. And she was at you know the the big hallelujah moment was when Jean was at WWDC and looked around and saw there were no women in the room. So. She decided she's going to fix that, and she she started with that with this app camp for girls. and And Jean, just tell us a little bit about what you've done so far. Sure. Um, uh, and to be perfectly fair to uh, to WWDC, they have they do have women there. They just don't have very many. <laughs> um, they 
So since I last talked to you, that was early fall. We um, um, recruited, you know, some volunteers and um, worked on a program of what we would do with the girls for a week. Because the idea is to have um, one week where the uh, girls can come up with app ideas. They they can um, storyboard them, sketch them out. We'll uh, get their ideas into Xcode and tinker with them there and debug them and then event- and by the end of the week have the um, have the app on the iPhone or actually <clears throat> in our case it's going to be iPod touches at camp and um, so that they can see the whole process and they can get really excited about uh, the possibilities and, and and get that that amazing sense of accomplishment that everybody I've ever talked to who's done an iPhone or iPad app has said, Wow, that first moment when you get your first app on the phone is is super exciting, and so we want yeah. <laughs> want the girls to have that. Um, so what you know what we won't be doing is uh, teaching them Objective C from beginning to end for one, in one week, um, but we will um, we will not be sugarcoating this either. We 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 know that um, to be an iPhone app developer, you do need to be proficient in programming um we want what we want to do in this week is give them the incentive to start learning um how to how to do that well it's really um it's really amazing how much the community has got behind you Uh, from the very beginning i think everybody wanted to be there and then you just started this fundraising campaign uh, which we're here to talk about today so tell us a little bit about that um sure so the idea was um you know, we need money. Obviously, everything uh, could eventually costs money, and, and things that, that require Apple equipment cost more money. Um, so we um, we set out a goal for ourselves. Um, we wanted to fund this summer's uh, uh, camp sessions in Portland. So we're, we're doing two sessions in June and August. To um, uh, The first one we're calling a beta beta session, beta camp, because we have not ever done anything like this before, and neither has anybody else. So we, we are being very upfront that here we go, this is our trial run, but we hope to have that, um, you know, that will serve as a basis for figuring out how to make our August camp, which is our first full session, you know, really, really great. Um, so we've got those uh, programs and we have to buy equipment for, um, plus there's plenty of other expenses that go along with uh, running an organization. And then we also, in our budget, put in, well, what would it cost us to keep the camp organization going for a year until next summer so that we would have time to then retool the program, find um, hopefully some paid staff who could really work on this and keep it um, get us things like, you know, grant writing and corporate sponsorships and things like that so we could really expand. Um, And we came up with the number of $50,000 based on all of the costs that we could first see for the first 12 months. And and we scheduled the campaign to start before WWDC and go through the middle of July. Um, And we thought, well, that would be great if we could raise fifty thousand dollars in six weeks. Um, that and would how long have did a set. it take? <laughs> <laughs> it, 
It took three days. Yeah. That's amazing. Days. I mean, I'm like I said, I'm still in shock for, you know, just the speed of it. And also, it's it's just more than money. It's the, the incredible enthusiasm that is out there that just is, is so heartwarming, you know, for everybody, I think. And for definitely for our volunteers um, team, you know, it just makes them feel so good about what they're doing because um, it's been a lot of hard work um, to get this together for for June. So, yeah, so f- that's where we, we, we got in three days. <laughs> so you've, you've met your 50,000 funding goal and, and you're continuing to grow from there because we're, we're pre-recording the show a little bit early. So I don't want to talk about specific numbers because by the time the show comes out, those will have changed dramatically. But <laughs> you, you guys really, I mean, I, I don't, I want don't want people to think okay they've hit their fifty thousand dollar goal I I don't need to go contribute I don't need to go help because the fifty thousand dollar goal was really the bare minimum that you needed to to make this happen to get it off the ground to run the two camps when w- what are your goals for above and beyond if the you know w- not if but when the two the beta and the regular session camp in Portland are successful um, where is the future of App Camp for girls where when can I sign up. <laughs> Well, that's that is the the fifty thousand dollar question. I think um, we um, based on what um, we have, um, you know, all the feedback that we've gotten during the course of this campaign. It's clear that you know, if we had the money, we could open up App Camp for Girls in fifty cities tomorrow. Right? It, it, there's so many people who want to see what you know to to have this program, people are offering to fly to Portland to come to the camp here, um, which is uh, amazing. So our obvious um, stretch goal is to stretch the program more quickly to more cities. And um, as you said, we're recording this early. So um, by the time this is out, uh, some things may change. So I don't want to give any specifics, but the, um, if you go to the App Camp for Girls Indiegogo page, you'll see where we are with our stretch goals. Um, and those goals will be in the form of, of cities that we'll expand to. Well, Gene, I'm just so happy that this is happening for real. In fact, one of the things I'm really proud of is when you first came on our show and talked about this, I know that some of the Mac Power Users listeners were instrumental in helping you get it off the ground. And I have a lot of pride about that. And I think that our listeners are really special and I know they're going to support you in this because we all appreciate how important it is to to fix this. There is a divide in geekdom. There's there's not enough women geeks and uh I think you are making a difference in that and I'm very very pleased to say I know you and and I brag about you to all my friends. <laughs> Well, I brag about you to all my friends too. <laughs> but yes, I, I I do want to reiterate that that the that Mac Power user show um, was was really like a, a watershed moment when I I couldn't get over the the feedback that I got from your listeners and not just feedback but some of the most important things that got App Camp off the ground are are thanks to Mac Power user listeners. So thank you all. 
So how can Mac Power users, listeners, help you now? We know that they can go to your Indiegogo page, and I would encourage them to do that because they can contribute any amount they want, $5, $10, $25, $50, $50,000. I mean, they can pick a number <laughs> <laughs> anywhere in between. It is a tax-deductible contribution. They can, they can you know, write it off to the extent that their accountant lets them do things like that. Um, so they, they can obviously, the monetary contribution is great. Is there anything else that, that you need um, that, that our listeners can help you with? Um, yes, there's a couple of things that would be awesome. Uh, one is to share the, the, you know, the news about the program, not just the campaign, but the program in general. You know, everything on um, Facebook and Twitter and app.net and, and Google Plus, that's, that's all super helpful. And, and we appreciate that. And then, um, you know, the, the, the ultimate um, help is, could be helping us identify women iOS developers who can, you know, become camp counselors at AppCamp because that's really the model is that these girls are going to have women um, mentors to show them, you know, the ropes, but also to serve as role models. And that um, the whole reason we're having AppCamp ends up being also a kind of a, a catch-22. There's not many women developers who have shipped iOS apps, you know, which is what we're looking for right now. Um, we definitely are not ruling out going into other operating systems or other models later on, but right now we're just focused on, on <clears throat> iOS iPhone apps and finding women who work in that field and have the experience to sit down with girls and put their apps together and get them onto the phone. Um, it's, it's tricky. We have a, a classic chicken and egg um, conundrum uh, because we do want to help girls become, we want to change this balance and we need women to do it. So um, any woman listening or anybody who is friends with a woman who is an iOS developer, please do email me, and uh, even if we can't work with you this summer, you know we're we're growing, and and it's you know we're going into other cities, and I need to to really have a, a database of women who can help us out. And that email's at Jean at AppCamp for the number four girls dot com, right? Correct. Okay. Yes. And where else is the where where should we send people if they want to find out more information? If maybe they have a child that they want to try to sign up for this camp, or mm-hmm. um, where can where can they go? Um, so our website is appcamp four. That's the number four girls dot com. Um, we're also on um, Twitter at the same appcamp four girls, and um, and Facebook. Those are the two places we post the most. Um, and that the Indiegogo page actually has probably the most complete description of what we're doing right now because we've been so focused on working on that, and the website is uh, has information and sign up forms. So, and and we're going to get all of that into the show notes. Excellent. All right. Well, Jean, I am just in awe of everything that you have done, and I am uh, just thrilled that our listeners have, have, have helped you in any way that they can in this endeavor, and I hope that they will continue to do so. And congratulations. This is y- – you are making – I mean, most people just look around and say, wow, that kind of sucks. I w- wish somebody would do something about this. And, and you said, hey, that, that's me. I'm that somebody. <laughs> yes. Uh, that's, that's 
that's where I am right now. <laughs> but I appreciate it. it's not it doesn't it's, it takes more than one person to make something like this happen and um it's it, I'm just the person who's who's kind of uh leading the orchestra right now. Well, we will um, have you back so you can update us on how the camp went after you and, and give us updates along the way and uh, hope that you'll, you'll keep us informed. You know it. Thank you guys so much. Thanks, Thanks Jean, Jean. And good luck. Thank you. All right. Well, Jean is just doing amazing things with App Camp for Girls, and I wish her all the success. I am just in awe of her. And uh, if Mac Power users, listeners, if you can help, please do. Um, so let's get in and talk about all the geeky coverage from WWDC. But before we do, let's take a quick break and talk about our first sponsor for this episode. Our first sponsor is 1Password, brought to us by Agile Bits. And the last time we talked about Agile Bits on the show, I talked about getting it out and sharing it with your family. But I thought this time what I'd like to do is dig a little deeper and talk about some of the ways I use 1Password. And for example, you know, because I've got the day practice as a, as a lawyer, I get given a lot of data that's very important that I keep secret. And I don't feel comfortable putting that on my iOS device, but 1Password has this great feature called Secure Notes. So once I get through the 1Password password and I'm in my 1Password data, I've got this separate section with these Secure Notes in it. And that lets me put data that I otherwise couldn't put in my mobile devices on my mobile devices. And I do all this through 1Password. And because everything syncs through Dropbox or iCloud, when I'm on my Mac, I can go to the 1Password app and get into those secure notes and edit them or change them. In fact, a lot of times I'll do a block and copy of data into those notes on the Mac and then have them available on my iPad or my iPhone for reference. Have you ever played with that, Katie? I use that feature all the time, and I do it for more long-form notes because you can put anything in one password, not just passwords to websites, but you can put, um, you know, passwords to generic accounts. You can put uh, social security information. You can put passports. You can put anything that you would normally put in a wallet. You can put miscellaneous generic accounts, so like FTP logins and router logins and all of that. And then so I use notes kind of for everything else. So things I might have in notes would be like, you know, like maybe a list of medications or, um, yeah, I don't want to go into all the stuff that I have in notes, but just stuff that I don't want everybody in the world to see, or, you know, kind of more complicated information that like, like the super secret map to the buried treasure in my, I can't even tell you where it is. That's in one password in a secure note. That's where I keep mine too. But if I had okay. a treasure, so it really works great. I've been taking a, a real beating lately from our listeners because I'm using a four digit numeric code as my password for my iPhone. And I'm told that's a bad thing. So I'm looking into a, a more extensive one. But regardless, once you get through that four digit code, let's say I don't change it. Let's say I just leave it one, two, three, four. Um, okay. Oops, did I just say that? Well, anyway, yeah, um, let's say I leave it whatever it is and you get through that. You're still going to have to break through my one password password, which is much more robust. So it really gives me a nice, secure feeling. So if I leave my phone out, like even just at a family event or if you're at an office and you leave your phone and it's still unlocked and they get into it before it locks itself back up, they're still not going to get to those super secret passwords and secure data you've got in your 1Password database. It's a really great way to go. Um, they just continue to upgrade it. Um, recently, I got to spend some time with Dave, one of the the principals of the company, and they're just doing some great stuff. I mean, you've got this huge team 
of really smart people working full time on making password management better for the Mac and iOS. And there's no better place than one password for it. And check it out because one password has actually been on sale for a while getting ready for version 4.0. It may still be on sale by the time you hear this episode. And if you pick it up through the Mac app store, your upgrade, uh, currently it's at version three and your upgrade to version four is a free upgrade. So no need to wait. You can find out more information at onepassword.com and thanks to one password for their continued support of Mac power users. So what really got me excited, Katie, and made me want to turn this into a show was the breadth of the announcements today. And the I race cars, the well, smart cars. <laughs> that was the most awkward minute in the presentation. <laughs> My goodness, what Just was dead that? Silence. And uh, so, there's a couple things. If you're listening to the show and you've got no idea what we, we're talking about, you can go to Apple.com and they've got the entire presentation streaming for you to watch it. And I would recommend doing it. If you're listening to the show, you should probably watch the presentation because there's a lot of great stuff in there that we're going to be seeing in the future of Mac power users. And I think Apple did a really good job of kind of answering the questions that were coming at it from various sources about whether or not they're innovating anymore. And in general, the whole session covered the next version of the Mac OS, the next version of the iOS for the, um, for the iOS devices, the phone and the iPad and some new hardware that's kind of impressive as well. So what we thought we'd do is we're going to break it up into three pieces. The first thing we're going to talk about is the next Mac OS, because this is the Mac power users, and we're going to give it precedence. I don't care. Right? Yeah. You know, David, I got so excited when we first saw that that new doc come on screen because I saw this little tiny thing that looked a little bit like a book on the dock. Oh, yeah. And I, I thought, mean, oh, oh, are we going to get maybe something for Max Sparky there? And I know you'll talk about that later. But this was the first time, I'll tell you the, the, the big feeling I had about Mac OS, what are we calling it? Maverick? Mavericks. Mavericks? Mac OS Ma- 10 Mavericks? Yeah, it's a, it's a surfing location. Okay. So the, the first thought I had about this is I did not see one instance, one reference, one push towards iOSification being thrown in our face. I'm not saying that it's not there. I'm not saying that it's, but, but I, I've, it, it felt more purposeful. It felt, it felt like this was more of a step back to a traditional, maybe not back to a traditional OS that we're looking for, but you know, they, they said the word power users several times during this presentation. I'm like, well, gosh, could you just throw us a bone or something? You know? Yeah. Tim called me and I said, that's okay. Sorry. I, yeah. I should have checked with you. Well, yeah. I mean, we got royalties on it, right? Oh man. I, sh- I knew you should have negotiated that. <laughs> oh, you know, what's funny. Uh, the, uh, they're doing a session on iBooks author during WWDC and Apple contacted me. They're going to include one of my books in that session. That's kind of cool. That is very If anybody cool. out there is at that session, let me know if they use it as an example of a good book or a bad book. <laughs> it, it's, the, it's, it's the before picture. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. But yeah, so um, it was exciting, though, seeing a new version of the Mac OS. I mean, I really, I'm a Mac user at heart, and I love my iOS stuff, and I keep talking about how it is the future, but I still love playing with my Mac and doing some of the stuff that I can only do on my Mac. So I like that it's still getting some attention. And since you raised it, let's talk about that. They finally are getting an iOS, uh, I'm sorry, a Mac iBooks app. So you can read iBooks on a Mac. You could, you know, you could always create iBooks on a Mac, but you could never read them on a Mac before. Now you can. Yeah, this was a huge missing piece. 
um, that, you know, Kindle has had an app on the Mac for a long time. And I think especially as, you know, I don't think it's such a big deal when you're just talking about traditional books that are text only, but especially when you're getting into these iBooks author books that are interactive with their content, I think it's extremely important to have them on the Mac. I think Brett Terpshire was the one who tweeted out, wow, you can, you can actually read 60 tips for Mac on a Mac now. Yeah. And I have a lot of readers I hear from them who don't have an iPad and they want to read these books on a Mac. And up until today, the only solution has been, well, I have a PDF version, which is, is cool, but I don't think it's as nice as having that full interactive experience. But it's it's, fi- it's nice it finally happened. Uh, it's not a total surprise to me. I mean, I've been talking to people, and everybody keeps saying that it's coming. So I'm glad it's here, though. You know, you just always wonder when it's going to show up. So it made sense, and that's a, that's a part of the new OS. But it's really not that big of a part, so I don't want to focus on it too much. Well, I think they've done some nice things. You know, again, their their focus has always been on education. I think they've done some nice things with note-taking and things like that that are going to be easier on a Mac, perhaps, than they are on an, on an iPad. And I think they've they've really tried to uh, feature those in, in this new version of, of iBooks. Yeah, and they, they've got a feature for you to open multiple books at once. And I, I believe they're going to be syncing your page location through iCloud so you can jump back yeah. and forth. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't think it's out yet, even in beta form. I'm not sure. I have to look into it. I mean, we're recording this pretty quickly after all this happens. So I guess we'll find out. But it's a great it's a great big deal for me because I sell iBooks. And, you know, this may make it easier for people. One of the questions I have is, and I think I know the answer to it, is that you're still going to need an iBook store in your iTunes. So when I hear from somebody in a country that doesn't have an iBook store in their iTunes, they're still going to have to go get the iPad. I'm sorry, the PDF version. Yeah, I was going to ask you, do you think this will make you less likely in the future to sell a PDF version, but there's still going to be a need for it? So long as somebody wants a PDF version, I will still sell one. Yeah. I mean, there's some nice things I can do with that. For instance, I'm uh, I'm making now text-only versions of all my books, so people with um, site issues that want to just get the text to put it into whatever application they want to read it, I can just send them a copy. So you know, there's some things I can do. Um, outside of the iBook store that that I can't do in the iBook store. So let's shift gears a little bit and talk about maps, because although I thought, yeah, this was cool, it makes sense for Apple to have maps, um, I in the, the, obviously the feature that I think is the most useful for maps, a lot of it's eye candy and stuff that you can already get on iOS platforms, is the ability to search directions and send them to your phone. I guess what surprised me about this is although it makes sense for Apple to make a map application for Mac, you know, would it make more sense for them to build this into iCloud and make it a, um, a, a web app? I'm not sure I agree with you. I think a dedicated app has a lot of nice pieces to it. Um, for instance, the demo I saw, you could look up a location, say, give me directions from my house, and it's going to know automatically what your house is. And I realize that will work on the web, too, but it it seems to me that kind of data usually works better locally. And since you're already on the Mac anyway, uh, why not make it a native app? I mean, it it gives you – you can do things with the OS X operating system – and with all the APIs available on the Mac that simply aren't available in a web browser. And that leads to a whole other discussion about iWork, which we're going to have in a few minutes. But I, I think they did the right thing making this an independent app. Well, and, and perhaps that was a good place to start. I do hope that they will at some point bridge it out to an iCloud app 
or, or even just a full-fledged web service for, for anybody to use. Because right now, if, if I'm, you know, not at my Mac, you know, if I'm at, although I do have a Mac in the office now, but, you know, I would go to Google Maps and, and you know, print out directions or something. I, I still don't know of any web service that if I'm not sitting in front of a Mac that I can use and send directions to maps on my iPhone. Yeah. So. And I'm just I, not I, be- sure I believe you can do that with Google I, I, and send it to Google Maps, but I, you know, you can't do it with the maps on your iPhone. I think that's an area where Apple still needs to compete with Google. I think their point is they want to make a great maps experience for people who shell out money for their hardware and they're going to focus on that. And I don't think they're really all that interested in being the one map that everybody goes to, no matter what platform they're on in their web browser. Right. So moving on to rich Corinthian leather or the lack thereof. Yeah, but the one feature you didn't mention is oh. on the maps before we go on oh, okay. is you can pick a map on your Mac and you push a button and it shows up on your iPhone. That is really cool. Yeah, I think that's the key feature. And they also have, you can email it, you can send it through a text message. I want to see how this works because, you know, one thing that happens is occasionally my daughter or my wife calls me from somewhere and says, get me out of here, you know, <laughs> and uh, and I'll, oh, yeah. I'll figure it out on the computer and try and explain it to them. Well, now I can just push a button and have it show up on their phone. I really like that feature anyway. Yeah. It's funny also how they really didn't talk too much about, you know, the initial trouble with maps. They've kind of just moved on. And um, I don't know. What is your experience with maps? Has it worked for you? Do you Did use that, it? I, I do use it, but I have had, you know, I don't travel a ton out of my area. I mean, I I have a dedicated, you know, Garmin GPS or whatever it is that I, I put in my car when I'm traveling long distances. And I kind of prefer that because it you know, doesn't run down my iPhone battery and, and things like that. But I had a situation where I was going to kind of a, I was going to a wedding and the wedding was being held kind of in the outskirts and, you know, in a farm, which I don't live near farms and there's farms like 45 minutes away. And, you know, so I had to go down a little dirt road, down a little dirt road, down a little dirt road. Yeah. And, um, Boy, Apple Maps just totally messed me up. I mean, I would not have made it to the wedding. Thankfully, I, I had Apple. I had like Siri and the Garmin lady just going at it with each other, and I was like, <laughs> I, I came. <laughs> I, there was there was there was in my car. Siri was telling me to go one way, and the Garmin lady was telling me to go another way. And finally, you know, the Garmin lady you can program to have a British accent, and so I figured she must know what she was talking about. Yeah. Yeah. So I followed her and she got me to where I was going. And the whole way, Siri was screaming, rah, 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 rah. you're going the wrong way. <laughs> I mean, as I'm like pulling into the wedding and I see the tent, she's like, no, you're, you're so far away. And I'm like, oh, no, I, I think I'm here. I, I have just the opposite problem. I've got a Ford and I've got that. It's a, it's a Microsoft based navigation system in the car. And, and it's so hard to give it directions when you're driving. And, you know, one thing I hate, and I guess it's maybe required by law, you know, some idiot lawyer probably required this, but you can't type in an address while the car is moving. But, <laughs> but quite often, I have an, another person with me in the car. So why, you know, why can't my passenger... Can, is there some kind of override where my passenger can type in an address? So, so we're driving down the road, and I'm trying to give this thing directions with voice commands and it's just terrible. And then, you know, finally I just said, you know, you know, get directions to the Grove to Siri. And it was like, 
there. And, you know, so oh, it, yeah. Most of my experiences with Apple Maps has been excellent for that very reason is, you know, the Garmin, although it usually gets me where I need to go, it's, it's this horrible clunky interface and it, you got to pull over. I mean, not pull over because it requires you to, but pull over because you require you to, to sit there and concentrate on how I'm going to enter this data. And it's got this horrible keypad, but with Siri, I can just say, take me to blah, blah, blah. And it will go. Yeah. And so we're going to jump over to the iOS really quickly and talk about this iOS in the car, you know, directive that they mentioned. And so they're working with, tell me I'm going to have to get a new car. Is this going to work with my 1997 Toyota? Probably not. And it's probably not going to work with my Ford either. Their their logo wasn't on the board. But either way, I, you know, they, a lot of car manufacturers are now tying in the user interface to Apple, where your Siri and your Maps, and it looked like from the demo, it's just going to take over the little screen in the center console. And if they do that, I think that's like the smartest thing ever, because I just have no faith in any of these car companies' ability to create a user interface that doesn't make me just want to vomit every time I use it. So maybe that's the solution is just to outsource it to Apple. So that'll be a great thing. If you're looking for a new car next year and you're listening to Mac power users, it's a pretty good chance you're going to have an iOS device. You may want to check into that. I think that's going to be really cool. All right. Now can we talk about torn paper and rich Corinthian leather? Yeah. Or the lack of it. Didn't you think it was odd? Or the lack thereof. Didn't you think it was odd? Well, first of all, Craig Federighi, um, I feel like, you know, a proud parent having watched him grow up as a presenter because the first two few times he came out on stage, I mean, that was back when Steve was alive and he would get on stage and I just felt so bad for the guy because he looked so nervous and his hands were shaking and he was trying to run the mouse. And I mean, he did some presentations uh, back in the day that, that were pretty rough. And, you know, I, I'm sure the guy is way smarter than I am and he's, you know, he's the head head guy for the programming languages for Mac. And I'm sure he's brilliant, but you know, it just seemed like he really wasn't cut out for presentation work. And now he's getting up and he's telling jokes and he's like really loose. And I, I don't know what he's well, done, but he has really improved. He, wasn't he hair force one? Yeah. I mean, he, yeah, exactly. I mean, he built jokes into his presentation and then he delivered some and it felt like they were written either. He wrote them before or someone helped him. Like at one point he said, we're all out of, you know, green felt and, oh, and then when he's talking about the calendar app, he says, well, you know, despite, and there's no stitching and the calendar still stays on the screen. We're not sure how that happens. So, you know, he was making jokes about the prior iOS, which was kind of interesting too. I'm like, is this a whole thing coming out of the big forest all shake up? I don't know. But the, um, but either way, the new calendar app looks a lot better. You know, they've, they've got rid of a yeah. lot of the skeuomorphic elements. It doesn't have the leather built in. That torn paper at the beginning that makes me crazy every time. I mean, one of the reasons why I use BusyCal is I cannot look at that torn paper. It just, there's something inside me that cannot handle it. <laughs> well, they've, I, rich Corinthian leather and torn paper aside, the, the actual interface of the calendar doesn't look that different, but it got some nice features um, what are the big ones being travel time? Oh, which, that's oh, such a big finally. deal for me. Yeah. I, but I've got a, I've got a question. I don't know if you know the answer. I only saw travel time at the beginning of appointment. Do they not take into account that you've got travel time at the end of an appointment too? I don't know. I haven't played with it, so I can't tell you, but just, just for, um, if you didn't see it, he did a, a sample where he said he was going to go somewhere 
he typed in the name of the place in the city and it found the right place. So it added the address and everything right there in the location field, which is a big deal because I like to have an address in there because quite often I share appointments when I'm going to meet somebody and I'll put an address in there. So it's clear that we're all going to the same place. I mean, I live right, in Ar- and you can just click on it and maps will take you there. Uh, and here in Orange County, I don't know if it's true everywhere else in the country, but there are literally Starbucks on every corner. So if you say you're going to meet at Starbucks in Irvine, there's like 20 options. So you got to give them the address or they're going to show up the wrong one. So you put it in there. It matches it in. And then you say, well, I'm going to be going there from work. And it will estimate the time to make that commute. And it'll add to the beginning of your appointment travel time. I've been doing this manually for years. If you look at my calendar, I'll have an appointment, say, meet Katie. And then in front of that, it'll say fly to Florida and it'll have a four hour you know, flight or, you know, more realistically, meet somebody at Starbucks and I'll have 15 minutes in front. But I always put those appointments in because otherwise I will write appointments right on top of travel time. And so this is going to be a really great feature for me. And I think a lot of people are going to use this. I think it's going to it's going to make you want to look at the calendar app again. I'm not sure it's going to bring me back to the calendar app. And I'm sure you're very excited about the addition of Facebook events being added. Yeah, I missed that. So they do have Facebook events, huh? Yeah, if you if you are attending an event on Facebook. Well, that's good because I, I have so many Facebook events that I attend. Yeah. So many. But it's it's nice. It's clean. Um, you know, travel time is great. I'm not aware of any other great feature improvements, but just the lack, the de-skew-morphosizing of it. Can you hear? Though. Can you hear my chair creaks? Because I move around. I do, I do. Oh, great! That's a, see. This is what I get for buying a chair at at, at um, Staples. Well, it's better than your treadmill desk. Maybe That's not a bodily fluid sound. It's just me moving <laughs> yeah, in my right chair. Yeah, right people. Right. All right. Okay. Um, on that note, Safari. Yeah. What about it? Doesn't seem that yeah, much different to me. It doesn't seem that much different. I mean, it got it got a new sidebar, and that's nice. I'm not real sure about the shared links. I don't know if that was like an attempt to try to do something about RSS, but then they stopped it. What the shared link seems to do is it seems to just follow you know people that I'm following on Twitter or LinkedIn, and if they post a link, it shows up there. Is that kind of like a way of saying here you can you can now use Safari as your RSS reader if you are one of those people who uses Twitter as your RSS reader or instead of an RSS reader? Yeah, I don't know. It's you can see they've kind of flattened it a little bit. It's it's on the left side of the screen. I think bookmarks are going to be a little bit easier to manage and there's the usual list of charts and graphs about why this is faster than everything else which I don't really know what to think about those things because whichever browser company you look at, they've got the same set of charts. Um, uh, I know there's a lot of people out there who complain that Safari is too crashy for them. I have not had that experience. I use it as my daily browser. Um, I do not have Flash installed, though. Maybe that's part of it. Yeah. But I, I don't really – I didn't take a whole lot from the uh, the Safari announcement. I thought it was much more interesting on the iOS side. Well, kind of a piece of the Safari announcement that we haven't talked about yet is iCloud Keychain. Yeah. I think, you know, everybody is comparing iCloud Keychain to 1Password. And, you know, obviously, full disclosure, you just did the ad read for 1Password. I guess I'll address that very quickly and up front and just say, you know, 
be careful about those types of comparisons and be careful of saying, oh, well, one password is doomed and now I don't need anything like that. Because remember, we also said that about Text Expander when, you know, snippet support came out and, you know, see how great that has evolved over the last couple of versions of OS X and iOS. I mean, I forget that it's in there. Well, I, I just think it is. Apple's a big company and they can put some some resources into features similar to popular apps. They did that with the keyboard shortcuts, which is very similar to Text Expander. But they just don't put the same level of information and detail and, and, frankly, manpower at the problem. So the benefits they have is that they have control of the whole operating system. You know, uh, Agile or Smile doesn't get. But the downside is they aren't going to throw as much at it. And it's not going to have the same number of features. I guarantee you, without having seen anything on this, is I'm not going to have a secure notebook in there that I can access with key data anytime I want it. Um, you know, when I, like I was talking about in the ad read, you know, I've got these little secure notes. I don't think that's going to be a part of this. So it's going to be a nice feature. And if it gets more people using passwords, I think it's a great thing. Um, yeah, I, I was actually going to say that. I mean, I think it's like so many of these features that Apple builds into the uh, number one shame on Apple for not having something like this sooner. I mean, that's that's why we we had to rely on apps like one password and others. But the other thing is, I you know, I think. If this gets people thinking about how important it is to have strong, unique passwords that are different for every single site on their computer, then thank goodness, because people are going to start using it, they're going to start thinking about it, and then maybe if they want a little more power, they'll start looking at other applications like you know, 1Password or something. And again, I want to be very careful not to turn this into a 1Password ad or a defense of 1Password or something like this. I applaud Apple. I think it's about time for them to do iCloud Keychain. I, I hope it works. I hope it works well. Um, for what it does, I you know, I think one thing that's going to be nice is it seems to be able to have those built-in hooks directly into mobile Safari, where, of course, third-party developers can't get those hooks. So it's certainly going to be convenient from that standpoint. I certainly don't think it's going to be as full-featured of an app as something that has been developed for years and years and years and years. But I think it's a great first step for Apple to to do something like this. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that's a, that's a good read on it. I, I think that I don't think one password is going anywhere if you're worried about it. I think it's going to be just I'm fine. Not. Um, you know, I'm just thinking I, I'm afraid to move. I'm sitting here in my chair. Just I'm afraid to move because it's going to squeak. As soon as the okay. show's over, I'm going to oil my chair. <laughs> All right. Um, you ready to move on to multiple displays? Yeah. You know what I thought was kind of nutty about multiple displays is they, they said, you know, it, Sometimes Apple bless them. They get on stage and there's some feature that we've been waiting for for years. And it seems kind of obvious that it should have been fixed years ago. And then they'll say, then they'll say, and now we've got multiple displays and everybody in the audience goes completely. I was so irritated about this. I mean, Apple has had good multiple, maybe not good, but decent multiple displays to support for years. And it wasn't until Lion that they broke it. So Apple's got it, they break it, and then they fix it. And two releases or they make it later. better, and now, <laughs> and now everybody's happy. Yeah, well, Every, they're not I mean, happy. They're, You're going to let ecstatic. them out of the pass? <laughs> yeah, I, I thought it was kind of goofy. But it looks like it's a nice, you know, the, the question was always, how are they going to fix it? How are they going to make two screens work now that they've got this thing where you can flip between screens? Are they going to make it so when you flip one, 
one app swings from screen one to screen two, and it's like a big linear chain, and they move across. Are you going to do it independently? Where are you going to put the menu bar? Are you going to put it on the left screen or the right screen? And it appears they found answers for that. So the answer is the menu bars are going to appear on both screens. That each screen will allow you to use the mission control independently. And uh, they even built in a nice air, air, dis, AirPlay display feature where if you've got an Apple TV on your network, you can use it as essentially as a second screen which I will use all the time because as I've said way too many times on the show, I've got a Apple TV in the conference room at my office. So it's a, uh, it's a nice solution, but it doesn't seem to me like it's one of these things that should have taken them, I guess was two years now to figure out. Yeah. Oh, and to be fair, you could always use an Apple TV as another display. It's just now it's really integrated in with the multi-display support. So you can actually add this as a, a third display as an Apple TV. Yeah. Well, thank goodness it's here. And I didn't really hem and haw about it too much because I'm I've got a 27 inch screen. I don't need another display. You know, I've got plenty right. of real estate. And then my laptop's a 15 inch screen, which is again plenty of real estate. So, so I didn't experience the problem as much as some as some of our listeners do. But I'm sure everybody's really happy about this that has two screens. All right. Well, um, we've been going for a while. Do you want to take a quick break and talk about our next sponsor? Okay, let's do it. So our next sponsor for this episode is Connected Data with their transporter. And because we're releasing this episode early, I can tell you that we have a contest going on. So before I forget, if you're a Mac Power users listening, which you are, um, you can enter at filetransporter.com slash v2 slash mpu between now and midnight pacific time on june 15th 2013 for and that's saturday i believe for a chance to win a driveless transporter what is a transporter you might ask well it is your own personal cloud storage device so you get a transporter you stick a drive in it or if you want you can buy a transporter that already has a one or two terabyte drive in it you plug it in your network you install some software and brand new version 2.0 that's already in beta testing and shipping later this month allows you to set up transporters very easily if you've ever set up a dropbox account before you'll be able to set up a transporter because it's very simple to set up it says, okay, well, where do you want me to store these folders? You know, give me a login, give me your credentials. Um, and then what do you want to do with it? So if you, you throw your files in the transporter, and instead of going up to some other cloud service that you don't control or you don't know where this data is or who's going to be looking at your data or whether they've got to deal with the NSA through PRISM or one of these other things, <laughs> you know that that data is <laughs> – isn't that timely? You yeah. know that that data is stored on your hard drive in your house or in your office or wherever you happen to have physically located that transporter device and that you can control who shares that data so you can invite other people people to share specific folders on your transporter with you. Don't like those people anymore? You can kick them out. David and I have a shared Mac Power Users folder. I'm just waiting for him to kick me out one of these days, but he hasn't yet. Um, or you can share single files with people. So, uh, you know, I've got a, a, a file in my transporter, a, a folder that I call Syncbox. And I don't know why I call it that. I think because I saw a video and someone suggested calling it Syncbox. You know, that I throw random files in that I, maybe I want to share with individual people. So my brother does not have a transporter yet. You know, if I right-click on that file, all of a sudden I get a contextual menu item that says share this file. I can click, you know, share it with my brother Matt. I, you know, send him off a 
type in his email address. He gets an email. He doesn't even have to register for an account. He didn't have to do anything like that. And, you know, boom, you know, he can download this file. So it allows you to keep control of your documents, not have them off on somebody's server, decide who you want to share, what you want to share, when you want to share, what their permissions are going to be for sharing. Um, and all for less than a cost. You know, it's a one-time cost. You can you can buy um, an empty drive for $199, a one-terabyte drive for $299, and then you're done. You know, if you need to upgrade at some point, you can throw more storage in there. But you don't have to keep repaying this recurring service for for cloud storage. So I actually just got a second transporter recently. I've got one here in my house and I dropped one off at my parents' house and I use it to throw data over there um, that I just want to have kind of an extra belt and suspenders offsite backup that, uh, you know, it's pretty fast because I'm, I'm throwing the data onto my local transporter here. So it's just going over my local network and then at its leisure, it, you know, goes up, you know, to the, to their transporter, which is connected to the internet um, and they've got access to those files because a lot of what I've gotten there is family type stuff. And it's just, it's backed up physically at their house. Yeah, it's really nice. It's a way more storage than you can buy in a traditional cloud service and you control it. If the black yeah. helicopters are coming to your house, you can rip out the power cord and throw it in the fireplace. <laughs> there you go. So you can find more information at filetransporter.com. If you use the coupon code MPU at checkout, then you can save 10% off your purchase of a transporter. And don't forget about that uh, special promotion that they've got going on or that contest they've got going on between now and June 15th. That's at filetransporter.com slash V2MPU. Um, and that contest is open through midnight. And thank you to Transporter for their support of Mac Power users. I'm still adjusting to the fact that I have a terabyte of cloud available storage. I haven't yeah. used it I haven't used it as much as I should, you know, because I haven't I haven't filled up. I feel like I should have more data on there. I want to put some more movies and some things like that when I'm traveling to pull things down. It's hard to accept that because we're so used to those limitations. But um getting back to Mac OS, notifications uh, they they increase the notifications. They've got some new features in it. Like I really like the idea of when you get a message and the notification window drops down, there's a little line in there. You can write a reply. You don't have to go to another app. I'm very stingy about what I let give me notifications, but but the iOS messages, that's one that I'll take. And like if you message me and say I'm running a few minutes late or I message you and say I'm running a few minutes late, we can reply to each other without having to go into the messages app. I thought that was really clever. And they do that for email and I'm sure a lot of other apps will be taking advantage of that. Yeah. And you can also, although I know you lock down who can send you notifications, and I tend to as well, but you, they have opened up the API quite a bit so that you can now get updates from different services. So if you want to get updates from, you know, websites like CNN or eBay or things like that, you know, that might be kind of a cool thing just if it cuts down on email. If I can turn off some of my email notifications and instead get some of this information through a notification center. That would be great. Yeah, I want to investigate that further. The way they talked about it, it sounded like it was through iOS. Well, it sounded like almost anything you can get an iOS notification for would show up on Notification Center. So maybe something that has an iOS app that would send you push notifications will also show up on Notification Center. Yeah. So that would make sense to me. Um, and the thing that I, I am probably most excited about is that if you're away from your Mac, that it will you know pile them up and keep them so that when you come back, you can see what you missed. 
And it sounded like the read state will be transferred throughout all devices. So if you mark it as read on one, it will be read everywhere. No. That's the way I understood it. I hope so. I, you know, I haven't seen how it all works yet, but one of the things that drives me a little nuts, you know, I've been dealing with messages. I wrote a post on it, Max Sparky. How do I deal with text messages, you know, in, ter- in my system? You know, when an email comes to me, I know exactly what to do with it. If I'm going to act on it further, I send it to my Omni drop, Omni mail drop sync database and, or I, or I write something down right there. You know, I've got these, these systems built up. When someone sends me a text message and asks me to do something, it's like my head explodes. I, I just don't know what to do with it. And I know I can forward it. And I, you know, I've heard tons of comments and feedback on Twitter about it, but I just don't feel like it's a very, easy system for me to manage. And one thing I don't like is that those messages show up on every device and on the iOS devices to delete multiple messages or multiple threads. You have to do each one individually. That's one of my uh, things that's making me nuts. Hopefully that gets fixed with this new iOS. I I understand your frustration and I don't know what you do about that because at that point the people have already sent you the message, but I I almost think that that's not how I use messages, and that's not how I use text messaging. I, I use messages and text messaging not I, – I use it as quick little bits of information that I need to convey to you. I mean, if I need to give you a, a task or something that's not intended to be acted upon immediately or just for information only, then I, then I think that information probably needs to come through a different medium, although I know you don't always control that. So that's no, my I- advice to the world. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's a, don't one send of the, it. That's the point I made in my article is don't do that to people because it does make it harder for them to process it. And if you make it harder for them to process it, they may not process it. But it doesn't change the fact that you get these messages. I had an attorney send me a very important, you know, agreement to a contract term that we hotly negotiated over a contract with a lot of zeros in it. And she did it by text message. She's you know? so unprofessional. Well, I just, I just wanted to make sure I had a record of it in case so later, you know, they said no. So that was just kind of a whole issue for me. So uh, I think I went kind of off the rails there, though. So let's move on. We, we're taking too long on the Mac OS as it is. Um, okay. So the ne- next one is Finder tabs. The Finder now has tabs. You know, what's that you mean? Worried for- about? Are you worried about applications like Pathfinder? Pathfinder, not or in the Total least. Finder. Pa- Total Finder, I think, is a little bit more in the crosshairs because that's their big thing. However, Total Finder does give you, you know, dual panes, which this doesn't do. And you know, it, it's just like every implementation of these features. Apple does a nice job with it. They're very pretty, and like the way it grabs a tab is kind of clever and and nice. But that doesn't necessarily meet all the features in some of these third-party apps. So I, I don't know. I think Total Finder is going to have a harder time uh, because that's such a big part of their selling point is the tabs. Pathfinder is its just like the 800-pound gorilla. The, you know, what they did here is not even close to what you can do with Pathfinder. Yeah. And we talked about Pathfinder and Total Finder on a previous episode of Mac Power Users. We did an extensive episode on Finder alternatives. Yeah. And I still think that show is timely and, and worth listening to because I don't think they've I still don't think that they've come up with enough for people who really want to do a lot in the finder. However, they also added tagging, and this is one of the things I had some of the the most questions about is what exactly are they doing with this tagging? Because tagging on the Mac, I looked into this in depth when I wrote the paperless book, and it's never really been a very simple system. There is no metadata 
in a file type that really is made for tagging. In fact, third parties have been coming up with them because Apple doesn't really have one built into the file. I mean, the the way people work around it is spotlight comments. They put tags in spotlight comments. And that's not really what is meant by tags. So it, it it's not a solution that really works. So I'm really looking forward to digging in on this and finding what's what is it about this tagging? What are they doing? Uh, my guess is they probably added a new parameter to the file type that is truly a tagging parameter where you can have multi-word tags. In fact, I think they had some multi-word tags in the sample today. And, um, or, or maybe they're still just monkeying around with spotlight comments and they made it pretty. I don't know. Yeah. I, the, the problem that I think this attempts to solve and they highlighted it in the, in the keynote without calling it a problem is that with all of our stuff, not all of it, but a, a significant amount of our stuff, and Apple hopes that a good amount more is going up into iCloud, that we don't really have a good way to search iCloud yet. Uh, and, I, and that was not anything I heard is, is are, are you aware of, can Spotlight really search inside iCloud or, or other things like that? I mean, we don't have a really good way. There, there's not this unified finder. You know, it's, it's you've got on my Mac and you've got an iCloud. There's not one place where all of that stuff is stored. And I think this is a step towards that and that, you know, tags can now be unified both throughout your Mac and iCloud. And I say that as though they're two separate things. I know that, that functionally they really aren't, but they're they're kind of two segregated parts of your, your same system in, in terms of the way that they store things. Well, th- this is bringing tagging to the masses in OS X for the first time. I mean, yeah. I, I don't. I'm not a big tagger. But, no, you know. neither am I. I've, in fact, I've kind of been against it because generally it's my feeling that all that time you spend tagging files doesn't pay off later. You don't get the return on investment when you're searching files because Spotlight does a pretty good job. And if you've got a good nested folder structure or a good third-party app, you don't need it. But if they make it this easy, it may be something worth looking at again. I, I'm going to check into it. I, I'm suspecting this is going to require an update to the paperless book because tagging is a is a big potential way to manage these types of documents. So I'm looking forward to see what they do with it. I mean, the one thing is Apple has embraced tagging for the first time that I'm aware of. I don't think they've ever made an app that really included tagging. And now they've put it throughout the operating system. Uh, I suspect it'll have support on iOS too at some point. It would make sense to. So maybe Apple's buying in on tagging at this point. So I, I think a lot is going to be told by how they store that data. If it's just spotlight comments, I'm not going to have a lot of confidence in it. So the other kind of features that they announced were really more under the hood features, and that's about energy and power saving features like power nap is basically when you've got an app behind the scenes that it kind of puts that app in an energy saving or a low power mode where it's not, you know, pegging the CPU for resources. And they've kind of done something similar with um, Safari, but you know, that click to flash plugin that we've talked about an awful lot. I think you and I both don't run flash on our main browsers, but we recommend that if you do, that you get a plugin like click to flash and Safari has kind of implemented some of that, whereas if, you know, the main video or the main feature on a website is Flash, it will show you that. But, you know, if the Flash is kind of off in a corner, like maybe an ad, 
it's you have to click to start the plugin. So the idea being that you're you're not wasting this power and you're not wasting these CPU cycles on things you probably don't want to see. It's interesting to me that if you look at two of the major advancements in software and hardware are aimed at battery life, and that's the new Haswell processors from Intel do a much better job at managing battery life. And now Apple is trying to build even more battery life management into its operating system. I mean, the the reason they're both doing this is that it's not an easy solution. You can't make a better battery in that same space that's going to give you double the battery life. Maybe that, you know, maybe that technology is around the corner, but it's just not there now. It's not growing at the same rate that, that everything else is. So there's a lot of energy and resources being placed in, you know, using other technologies like a more power efficient CPU and a better operating system to make up for that deficiency. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head and that while all these other technologies are expanding at leap and bounds, leaps by leaps and bounds, the battery technology is really the one that is, I don't want to say stalled, but certainly hasn't advanced as quickly as, as others. Yeah. So. And that's a good lead into the next piece of this would be the new Mac hardware. Yeah, and so they started off with the MacBook Airs, and I was getting a little nervous because I'm thinking, oh, no, I just bought a MacBook Air last year. I don't really need to upgrade. I don't have a reason to upgrade. And I still don't think that I have a reason to upgrade. The The new MacBook Airs, the, the big update to these, um, two real hardware updates. One is they got the new Haswell processors, which the biggest change is going to be the increased power efficiency and that's going to add to the battery life. And the other is support for air, uh, the new air um, airport standard or the new wireless standard, 802.11ac. Yeah. Which, of course, you're going to need a new airport base station, which I'm not sure I'm sold on the new design of, by the way, um, to – to take of that. What I have not seen yet, and and I know it's still early and people don't really have their hands on these yet, although they are shipping now, um, clock speed wise, they're very similar to, in, in fact, the, the MacBook Air I've got right now has a faster processor than these. So what I'm, although the new ones certainly have better battery life and things like that, I'm curious to see in terms of, of pure performance, how those will compare with the ones from last generation. There was a really good article on it's escaping me now, but I will think of it before the show's up or I'll put in the show notes at one of these great geek websites that really took a close look at the Haswell. And what it does is provide orders of magnitude, better graphics performance. So even if the clock speed of the central CPU is the same, you're still going to see a much improved experience with this new chip. Yeah. I guess that's the one thing that's interesting. I'm sorry. I just had to spit it out. Anantech did it. Um, I'm just not seeing huge, you know, you're, you're not seeing Apple tote that or tout that. Sorry. Well, I mean, they didn't spend much time talking about, they didn't mention the retina MacBook pros at all. And I'm assuming they're going to get the Haswell chip very soon. They didn't even take time to say, Oh, by the way, they're getting it too. Um, so yeah, they had a lot to cover today. So I I do think you're going to see a significant performance improvement. And if, you know, in a couple of days, the benchmarks come out and I'm wrong. You can laugh at me, but I'm pretty sure you're going to be, you know, the, the people who buy the new ones are going to be happy with that, that performance bump. But the big, yeah, deal the, also the, the only thing you really see on the Apple website is a single line that says with the new HD graphics, 5,000 processor, you get 40 times faster graphics performance, yeah, 40 times, 40, I'm zero. sorry, 40, 40, no, 40%. I read that wrong. 40% okay. faster. 
So, so wow. not 40 times, 40% faster. Yeah. And your battery life goes on the, um, it goes from seven hours on a 13 inch to 12, or was it, I might have that wrong. Is it seven hours to nine? And seven to nine and yeah. No, no, no. I think it was five to no, nine I'm, and seven to the, 12. Yeah. The 11, well, either way, the 11 now gets nine and the 13 now gets 12. Yeah. So there's some really nice things there. I can't get over it. Now that I have a Retina MacBook, I cannot even look at those errors. I, I, what? <laughs> yeah. The screen. I'm so spoiled by this screen. I'm so sorry that my dainty little air here offends you. I just, I just couldn't use one. And um, I think I'm a snob that way. I think they've wrecked me. But either way. Uh, so that was some the, nice the announcement. One- the one thing I thought was interesting is I was listening to some analysis of this before the announcement came out, and we're, they were talking about, you know, Apple really has a choice. With the new Haswell processors, the power consumption has gone down. They probably now could, if the price stays down, put a retina display on these MacBook Airs without sacrificing battery life, you know, basically keeping the same battery life as they had before, or keep the same non-retina displays and bump up the battery life, which way are they going to go? And yeah, we obviously saw the answer. In fact, Phil Schiller was pretty clear that the defining element of the MacBook Air is battery life, the full day performance. I mean, that's what they wanted, and that's what we're also excited about on our iPads. So people yeah, say that they... I, I guess that just kind of makes me wonder is, is that going to be the differentiating factor between... Because at some point, the... Um, the pro line is going to get the Haswell processors and their battery performance is going to go up. Certainly not as significantly because they've got that, that display, but it's going to go up because their battery is so much bigger bigger batteries, you know, they've got bigger batteries. Yeah. So, um, you know, is, is that going to be the defining difference between the MacBook air and the MacBook pro is, you know, kind of like the old MacBook versus MacBook pro one's got a retina and one doesn't, if you want the retina, you got to go pro. If you don't, then you stay up with the air. Yeah, I don't think so. I think so. we'll I, know within a few generations. Yeah, I think the Retina MacBook Pro very shortly, once it gets the Haswell, is going to be very close to the battery life on the uh, the MacBook Air because it's it takes more battery, but it also has more battery. That's why it's thicker and heavier. And then the differentiator is going to be the screen and the weight. Um, and it seems to me these are on a collision course. At some point, the battery technology is going to get good enough that you're going to be able to get a Retina screen in something skinnier than the existing MacBook Pro, and at what point does it just become one product? I think if Apple could make one product, they'd like to. I think the big question is going to be price point. Yeah, because it, you still need to have a lower price point. Yeah, well, notebook. we're a few, we're at least a year away, and and I think a lot of people were talking about this that are much more well informed about this than you and I are who, who said, no, there's just no way they can make a MacBook air with that screen in it yet. But you know, things move quickly. So maybe next year, if you're waiting for a retina on a MacBook air, uh, then they announced the new Mac pro and they made a big deal about it. And that's where they should do it at, at the, um, at the WWDC, right? All the developers are in the room. What did you think about the new Mac pro? It scares me a little bit. (laughs) <laughs> what do you mean? It's just kind of freaky looking. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I have mixed emotions. Uh, the The design is just, I, I don't know. Did people feel this way when the cube came out? I, I don't remember. The, this, this to me is more different, more different. Oh, great with the grammar tonight. Um, this to me is a more dramatic 
shift in design than the cube was. And I know everybody thought the cube was such a shift in design. I guess I'm wondering why did Apple need to go this far? I, I mean, have they just because we can? Is this going to – it kind of harks back to that old 25th anniversary Mac, which you know was quite the flop. Well, I, I, I'm glad you talked about the cube because that's one of the first things I thought about too. I mean, the, the cube was such a interesting Mac and it had some legendary cooling problems and some other issues, but I had a friend who just loved it so much. And our friend, Steve Stanger, I believe was running one. He may still be running one. So th there's definitely a lot to like about it. It's a unique design from what they said. It's just one badass Mac. I mean, it runs really fast. It's got great graphics processing and memory and they, they spewed off a whole bunch of stats, which I haven't had a chance to really look into. And, and nobody, frankly, has even seen one run yet. Um, it's got an interesting centralized cooling system that runs cool air through the middle of it. And it's not very big. In fact, it's small. I mean, when they put it up next to an existing Mac pro, it seemed like really small, but it also has no internal drive base or, no internal expansion slots, which I know is going to make a lot of people crazy who really want the the Big Mac they can throw five hard drives into. And their answer is, we've got a bunch of Thunderbolts on the back, and you're fine. Well, and it's all flash storage. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, it's going to come out next later in the year. They haven't given us enough details yet, but it will connect up to three 4K devices, which is a very high-resolution monitor, even though Apple doesn't sell one of those yet. Some people do. Uh, you can daisy-chain up to 36 devices. It's got six Thunderbolt ports. Um, it's got an amazing 20 gigabyte per second data transfer speed. I guess that's if you really load it up. It's 25 times faster than FireWire 800. I don't know. It looks pretty impressive to me. Daisy said, well, are we going to get a new Mac now? I'm like, no, I don't think so. I, I, for what I do, I'm just fine. But um, Yeah, I mean, I guess I I just kind of – I'm not poo-pooing it. I, I will tell you it's not for me. I, I have no, no need for this. But the developers who love the Mac Pro and who want the Mac Pro, they I mean, they were all a little googly-eyed over it today – but they're the ones who want to throw multiple hard drives in it. They're the ones who want to have multiple cards. They're the ones who want to have all this base great expansion. And yes, you can do that with Thunderbolt. And you're going to be able to do more with Thunderbolt too. But you've got this gorgeous cylinder that then in order to do all of those extra things that you want to do, you're going to have to have all these peripherals sticking off the back of it. Exactly. So you say, well, it looks great. But then there's like five Thunderbolt enclosures and uh Video, actually, I don't think video cards work through Thunderbolt. So I mean, there's yeah, they can. There's there's quite a bit here. It, it's going to be interesting. I I'm very curious to see what the development community thinks of it, and the film production community, and the people who do those kinds of high end work. Their their opinions matter so much more than ours. But it certainly is something different. Well, I can't I can't get over how powerful these iMacs are these days. It's pretty amazing what you can get in an iMac. I, I did see Don McAllister tweet, only three 4K displays fail. <laughs> well, Don might have four. He just might. I know. I can't, I can't wait until, uh, until Don gets one of these. You know he will. Yeah. But uh, anyway. Um, and then there was one more hardware announcement that we can touch on briefly, um, and that was the new Airport Extreme. Yeah. 
Yeah. I I kind of have been thinking. Uh, this is the one thing that I think I might buy. I have a I have an older time capsule, not the latest generation. Mine is still dual band, but it's not the current generation. It's the previous generation. And I love it. It's a great router, and it seems to be working well, although I've kind of had some sporadic issues with it, disconnecting and doing some things that, honestly, I think is more related to my cable company, but it's it's also about three years old now, so that hard drive probably doesn't have a whole lot of life left into it, and, uh, you know, changing it out's a pain, and... Um, I don't really need a new airport, but, you know, it's kind of like, boy, as soon as I get a new Mac that has 802.11 AC, I'm going to need one. So maybe I I should go ahead and get it now. No, I would wait. Because why, if you've got something that's working, why would you want to replace it? And, you know, let let them get a little experience making these new ones. It is a new enclosure. It's I'm sure it's got some new electronics in it. There's no reason to run out and, and buy one unless you're getting one of the new Macs that have the AC uh, radio in them already. Well, which right now is just the MacBook Air as far as we know. Now, Apple has done that surprise on us before where they've enabled, uh, I think they enabled the 802.11n card on a couple of older Macs after N came out. But, you know, I think the possible candidates for that would be the new iMac and the the latest generation MacBook Pros, but we'll see. Yeah. Are we taking too long? Well, we've been talking a long time. Gosh, the, well, we're almost going longer than the keynote now. <laughs> okay. Well, let's All right, do a, so let's talk about our next yeah, sponsor, and that is Gazelle. So you know we've got some new goodies here, and if you're thinking about maybe picking up some of these new goodies that we just saw, maybe you could start thinking about what are you going to do with your current stuff. So you can head over to gazelle.com. That's G-A-Z-E-L-L-E.com and find what you've got. Do you have an old iPhone? Do you have an old iPad? Do you have an old laptop? Do you have an old MacBook Air? Do you have an old MacBook Pro? What do you have? You go to Gazelle, you put in your specs, you tell them what you've got. They'll tell you what you give them. They'll give you for it. And you can lock in your quote that's good for 30 days, which will give you plenty of time to get your new hardware. Um, I always recommend that you wipe your stuff before you send it to Gazelle. But if you forget, Gazelle will go ahead and do that for you. Um, but wipe your stuff, send it to Gazelle. You've got 30 days to get all of that done, get your new stuff over, get all of your um, old stuff transferred over to your new machine. And then you get paid. You get uh, check, PayPal, or an extra 5% on an Amazon gift card, if that's how you choose to. So... Um, Gazelle, I've used them personally for a number of things that I have sold. And my favorite feature of Gazelle is that it's just painless. You don't have to talk to anybody. I'm very antisocial. You don't have to interact with anybody. You just go to the website, you click it in, you fill it out, you've got it. In most cases, they'll send you a box that you can put your old stuff in. You pack it up, you send it back to them, and then a check comes. Now, if by some chance that you know Gazelle doesn't agree with the evaluation that you gave your stuff... They'll write you and they'll let you know and they'll say, hey, we think that this iPod or iPhone is not in great condition. It's only in good condition. So they'll adjust your offer. Sometimes they'll say, hey, you undersold yourself. You said it was in good condition. We think it's in great condition. And they'll adjust your offer. If for any reason you don't like their adjusted offer, then you just tell them and they'll ship your device back to you and you can preserve whatever options you want to do. But it is so painless and effortless. I just, I, I don't have time to deal with Craigslist and eBay and all of that other garbage. I've done it before. I know the pros and cons of doing all that. And I just, I don't want to hassle with it anymore. And so that's, that's why I go to Gazelle. Yeah, me too. It's a great service. You can just go on the website, put in your product, they'll ship you the box and you ship it back and you get money. And you don't have to deal with all the other nonsense. I'm, I'm a big fan as well. I use it all the time. 
And if I decide to get myself one of these fancy new Macs or iPads that I expect we'll see in a month or two, I'll be logging on to Gazelle and, and selling an old one. I have no remorse about keeping old electronics. I just want to get rid of them, get some cash for them, and move on. Yep. Uh, which leads us to the uh, final portion of our discussion is iOS 7. And that was the big deal today. I mean, it was funny when they said, okay, now let's talk about iOS 7. The room just lit up because there's so many developers making a living on iOS 7. And as much as we love our Macs, there are just multiples, exponential mo multiples of people using these iOS devices and buying apps. And this this was the announcement that kind of pushed me over to say, okay, we need to do a show on this because it's just so different. I mean, the last few years, they do some small updates, but they've really you know, started with a new approach to the user interface of the phone. Well, let's just talk about the overall look and style of iOS 7. It, it is not exactly what we thought it would be or what the leaks all said they would be. I mean, yes, the icons are flat. Yes, the skeuomorphism. Am I saying that word right? No, is I don't gone. think that's a word. Skeuomorphism. Yeah, I think you, know, you think just got too many isms there. Okay. That's okay. Whatever, whatever that thing is with the leather and the tearing, um, that's gone. You haven't been drinking, have you? Mm, it's been a long day, and I, 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 I did have some coffee later than I normally should, so I'm a little bit wired. Did you, did you just drink and your coffee straight, or was there anything else in there? I put a little whiskey in it. There you go. I can is tell. That, is that might be <laughs> yeah. what it what it was? Okay. Yeah. yeah I, I thought what was interesting is everybody's talking about flat, 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 flat. And and John Gruber wrote an article tonight I read, and I, I just agree with him 100%. This is not a flat interface. It's It's got levels to it. It's got layers. And they did a whole bunch of things in here to make it feel, to put depth into the phone. And and I'd like to attribute this to Johnny Ives takeover of the general look and feel of their devices. Maybe not. I mean, they're never going to tell us, but they did a lot of stuff. They, they went out of their way to show three layers of the interface. There's a layer with the icons on it. There's a layer with the background on it. Then there was a layer with the notification, which they were calling cards during the presentation, which I thought was interesting because I think I thought Google were the ones that started this whole talk of cards, but maybe or was it Twitter? It just seems to me there's a whole bunch of people talking about cards lately as bite-sized components of information. And now Apple's doing that too. But either way, uh, they put these layers on. So they went out of their way to explain if you put a desktop background that is that is largely green, when you open up a card, you're going to see that green through the background. So the choice of your wallpaper is going to change the look of your apps, which which is really different from what we had before. I mean, before it was very, uh, for lack of a better word, sandbox. Once you went into an app, you lost complete, you know, uh, you, connection with the operating system in general, and the phone took over as that app. And now these are more mixed in with each other. Yeah, I agree. And I think this is going to give me a lot more, you know, I've kind of been keeping my uh, my lock screen and my wallpaper the same for a long time. I think it's going to give me more uh, um, reason to, to change all that. But I, but I agree, yes. The, the surface of it is flat, but there is so much more depth behind all of this. What do you think of the overall design aesthetic to it? I mean, they made some changes that it's definitely going to take some getting used to. I mean, just stuff like the settings icon and... Um, uh, you know, the color palette that they used, does it 
it doesn't really look like iOS anymore. Does it, does it look like they borrowed from Windows 7 or maybe not? But Android, I don't know. Well, they, the color palette has changed. Um, and some of the icons have changed for the better and some have changed for the worse. I, I don't yeah. care much for the new Safari icon. Um, I agree. The, um, the, I don't really understand. I know I'm going to get confused between the game center and the photos icon. When I look at them, they're so similar. Uh, you know, but you know, do you use game center though? No, I mean, I was about to say, since I bury game center in a folder, I'll probably be okay. But if I were, had them both on my home screen, I'm sure I'd probably mix them up. So there's some things I don't, I don't necessarily care about it, but maybe I just they, they need to grow on me. Another thing that I, I, I had a little trouble with watching the demo today is, is they've got the five dots at the top left corner to show signal strength, I believe. Yeah. Why did that need to change? I'm not really sure what that is because I'm looking at the website now and they've got the radar next to it. So what is the five dots? Maybe well, that's, that's your, that's the, those are bars. Oh, that's your bars. Correct. Of course. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I, I'm not sure, but you know, that's stuff I'll get used to, but well, someone who doesn't, you know, nerd out on this stuff, figure it out immediately. So there's a couple things about it. They're a little odd, I guess, but I think overall it's a nice facelift that it, that it needed. And I think that, um, if they had stuck with the older design, it would have, it would have felt even more dated. And there's a lot of people that have been writing about this stuff. This is no, by no means anything new and I don't want to waste everyone's time, but I think there's a lot of good points to be made that when the iPhone first came out, it was such a new thing that they had to be more skeuomorphic and they had to use more similar paradigms to the real world implements because people were just trying to learn this interface. And now that everybody uses these things, I think it's a lot easier for Apple to stretch out a little bit more. I like the typography better. Yeah. I think we're going to see a lot of developers changing their app icons in the in the coming weeks, but that's oh, not necessarily yeah. a bad thing. Yeah, I like the idea of, of, of changing it up a little bit. Um, okay. So yeah, it's going to take some getting used to. Do you think this makes one, – one of the, the great things about iOS is – and there are levels to anything, but you know, Apple has always said you just hand it to somebody and they know how it works. I mean, someone can always get better and you can always teach them tips and tricks, but you hand it to somebody and they instinctively know how iOS works. Do you think we're going to lose any of that? Not much, because it's still basically the same interface. There's a grid of icons and you tap on one and it opens the app. Yeah, but more to it, like, you know, fast, I, I guess there's still the home button and all, but, you know, fast app switching and multitasking and control center and th those things are all very, very different interface wise. Yeah, but they're improvements like control center, I think, is one of the best improvements. And so if you swipe up from the bottom of the screen, you've got a series of settings that are always hard to drill to. If I went to my wife and I'd say, turn off the Bluetooth. Well, she knows how to do it now, but it took her a long time to figure that out. And if she didn't do it for a few weeks, she'd probably forget. Now, with the new control center, you swipe up from the bottom, there's a Bluetooth icon. You tap it, and it's on. You tap it again, and it's off. That's I wonder. I wonder if, and, and the ones that are there, by the way, are just airplane mode, Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, do not disturb. And I think that last one is, lock, is either lock or lock. Yeah. Lock orientation. Lock oriented. So I wonder if those could be changed or if they are what they are. They I, probably I are what they it. are. I doubt it. So I can't quite tell what all of the ones on the bottom are. You got a flashlight, a calculator, a, a 
camera and then something else that looks like maybe it's safari or I maybe think it's, it's something a timer else. but okay a timer timer that would make sense. make sense and then they've got the airplay there that allows you to share files between phones and presumably macs but i don't think we saw a demo of that so i'm not certain well, air, airdrop airdrops allow you to share files and then yeah, airplay lets you yeah yeah okay and airplay allows you to broadcast to your tv hey by the way i do that all the time because we're always out at family events and then we end up at my house where I barbecue and I just turn on the phone and share it to the Apple TV from whatever family event we were at that day. And everybody just loves that so much. It's good to see the movies, get to see the, the pictures. It's a great feature. And then Notification Center got a nice update, too. They added a today field so you can get the weather today and your calendar events and I would imagine reminders and a few other things. Yeah, I think you can still get everything you used to be able to get on Notification Center. I think it's just going to be maybe even spaced out a little bit more. Um, it, it seems like the top half or maybe at least the top third is kind of taken up with this this big calendar. You know, today is Monday, June 10th, and this is the forecast, and this is your next appointment. And then you really can't see your other notifications. So I'm not sure what I think about that. I, I mean, it obviously you can scroll through them, but it's a it's a big chunk of your, maybe what your, if you just missed something that popped up on your screen and you want to pop up and see what it was real quick, you're going to have to go scroll through it. Yeah. Now you've got me curious. I'm opening it up on mine. Oh yeah. I don't have, I have the local weather, but I don't have my appointments uh, showing up first. You, you can, yeah. yeah, you can put your appointments in notification center. Mm. I'll tell you one thing. I am so sick of this, this, um, this background that they use this, uh, this linen background. Yeah. I'm glad that that's disappeared. It looks like it's disappeared from the Mac too. Yeah, that's true. The multitasking window. Again, I, I think I'm more positive about this in New York, Katie. Cause I, I think no, I like this, multitasking. Well, even I think that's been a problem. The whole visual overhaul, I think is going to be a nice upgrade and people are going to really like it. People who don't understand anything about what's going on underneath. And maybe they made the whole thing twice as fast and more power efficient. They're going to look at these types of changes and be really happy. And one of the problems I've always had is teaching people that double tap and flipping through your recent apps. I think now that they give you a little screenshot of each app, you're going to see a lot more people using this feature. Right. But what we haven't heard so much of is, okay, so multitasking becomes easier, but are my apps going to be able to do more things now in the background or is multitasking going to become more useful? Well, what they said was it's going to depend on how often you use an app. So, for instance, if you open Instapaper every day, it's going to presumably give Instapaper a way to update itself in the background or OmniFocus, maybe. And if you open an app every few days, it's going to have less of an opportunity to do background updating. It sounded to me like a really good solution because the big challenge is battery life. If they allow every app to update itself anytime it wants to, your battery is going to start dying very quickly. So instead, it looks like they've got an algorithm that looks at how much the user uses the app, and then they give permission based on the number of use. So the apps, like if you've got an app on there that you never open, it's not going to get any of your bandwidth and battery life to update itself. And speaking of updates in the background, did you see John McCain tweeted hallelujah? No. Background updates now? <laughs> uh, I don't want to go there. I just don't. <laughs> okay, but, but apps are going to be able to update in the background now. Yeah, that's good because I'm tired of looking at my daughter's phone and seeing 76 
Don't you you just grab it from her and say, come back in an hour? Yeah, I guess, but I don't know. Photos saw a pretty significant update, and I liked a lot of the features that they added to Photos. You know, sometimes I see these features and I thought, wow, people who work at Apple live such glamorous lives. Yeah, they're going to Santa Monica Pier and all this other stuff. I think it's awesome. I think there's somebody that says, hey, you get a couple days off and here's some money and go have a really good time and go take some pictures with your attractive friends. (laughs) You know, they actually, they they don't quite do that, but they actually do put out an all call for, anyway, someone who worked at Apple told me that, although some of them are certainly staged, but a lot of of times what they do is they put out calls for, you know, Photos and stuff like that. That's cool. But that is a a problem. You look at the list of photos in your uh, photo on your on your iPhone, and it's really hard to find something. And now it's going to automatically group them. And it makes total sense. When I saw it, I'm like, how come we never did this before? And how come I never complained about it in the two or three shows we did on photography? Because this is a, a natural problem and a natural fix. Yeah, I I think it's going to be much more useful, though, as long as you have location services turned on. And I have always been a little nervous about location services with my photos because I share photos to Twitter and Facebook and things like that where I don't necessarily want to share my location. So now I'm kind of feeling a draw of wanting to turn location on my photos on, but yet wanting to keep them off because not wanting that location data to get out there. Yeah, decisions, decisions. Hey, before we go on, I'd like to talk about our last sponsor today, and that's Squarespace. And I just love my Squarespace. I've been using it now on my Mac, uh, writing my MaxBarkey.com blog for several years. And I moved from WordPress long before they became a sponsor of our show. And I've converted so many people in my life to Squarespace. And it's not a hard sell because it just makes it so easy to run your own website. And I know that a lot of us out there have something to say and we want to get published and we want to make a a blog or have a platform on the Internet. And a lot of us, like myself, are not super web programmers. We don't spend a lot of time writing HTML and PHP and we don't have the time to do that. We're too busy thinking about something bigger that we want to say. And we want a website that looks good and is easy to manage and we don't have to hire a wizard to come and fix it for us whenever there's something goes wrong. And Squarespace is for you if that's what you're you're up against because it's a really easy system to get into. You you can go sign up for it, you can buy it a month at a time or you can buy a whole year. You get 20% discount if you do that, so which is pretty cool. And then you can get another 10% on top of that if you type in MPU6 for Mac Power users in the month of June, so MPU6. But it just takes care of you at that point. You can make changes. You can take a line on the screen and drag it, or you can make adjustments in the settings. You can write your posts in Word, in Markdown. You can write them in rich text. You can import um, you know, any kind of content you want in it. I've, I'm hosting files from it. You know, whenever I put these text expander snippets on my website, I just upload it as a downloadable file and Squarespace does the rest of the work for me. I don't have to go find somebody to host it for me. And it's just a great service. They're constantly updating their platform with new features and new designs and more support. They have a beautiful design for you to start with and tons of style options for you to adjust. One of the things I like is that not all Squarespace sites look the same. You can't recognize them because there's so much customization you can do to them. They take care of the hosting, the SEO, and even make sure your site is automatically looking great on any device. 
MaxSparky.com. If you look at it on your iPhone or your iPad, it looks different than it does on the Mac, and it's it work just works on whatever device you're you're holding on. And Katie, your KatieFloyd.me is there as well, right? That's me. Yeah, it's easy to use. If you want some help, they've got really good support. I uh, I've been emailing them for years. Whenever I have a problem, I submit a ticket, and I always get a response back very quickly. And once again, this is before they knew I was, you know, running a, uh, you know, big fancy podcast and talking about them. In fact, to this day, I'm pretty sure they don't know who I am as a customer versus. I I actually, I had, I had a meeting with the guy when we were talking about their purchase of spots on Mac power users and I had to tell them. Sorry. Yeah. I was like, oh, yeah, David and I both host our blogs on Squarespace. They were like, really? Yeah, well, the listeners are thinking, oh, he can talk about it because he doesn't pay for it. No, I pay for it. In fact, I pay for it like four times because I've got my wife has a blog on it. My daughter has one on it. My work has one on it. I mean, just basically anybody in my life that wants to set up a a blog or website, I'd send them to Squarespace. And for a lot of those people, I'm usually the one that ends up paying. Uh, So I use my own discount code quite often. Uh, So go check it out. Um, they've got two tiers. They've got the unlimited and the limited. And you can get 20% off if you buy a year in advance. And if you buy a year, you also get a free domain. So you don't even have to go buy a domain somewhere. They'll take care of that for you. And then use the offer code MPU6 to get an additional 10% off. And, you know, that's just that's just crazy. Now you've got 30% off to get in. What's your excuse? Yeah, and if you've got something to sell, check out Squarespace Commerce. It's extra, but... Go look at it, and it's the complete all-in-one solution for selling stuff on your website. I'm so. I'm really interested in that because I sell these PDFs through a whole separate service. I'm I'm looking into switching everything over to Squarespace Commerce. Yeah. So thanks Squarespace for sponsoring Mac Power users, even though you don't know who Max Sparky is. Yeah. No, he, just kidding. They're happy to take my money, and I'm happy to pay it. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's uh, let's talk about AirDrop. Because that was one of the big things is, is it AirDrop coming to iOS? I saw Fraser Spears talking about this on Twitter, and he's super excited from AirDrop because he sees all the great possibilities of this in the education context. I hadn't really thought about that. I think it's just going to be great, you know, for sharing. I mean, iOS doesn't really have a, a true file system yet that that we want, but... Uh, but, you know, now there's a way to send files rather than, you know, messaging them back and forth and emailing them back and forth. Yeah. So if you're the teacher, you could say, turn in your papers and everybody could airdrop it to your iPad. Right. Right. And so you can airdrop with friends. You can airdrop with people in your contacts. And then you can open up airdrop to, you know, kind of people that you meet on the street, you know, anybody in a proximity of you. Yeah. So it creates a, a, a sort of Wi-Fi network between you and the local iOS devices that are willing to hear you. And then you can send pictures or files. Uh, the one thing I didn't hear about today, I sure would have liked to hear about, was a iCloud app that allows me to kind of see everything in iCloud and I could possibly send it to different apps if I wanted. We've talked about this on the show before, and I was disappointed that didn't show up today. I, mean, I understand why they don't want to do that, because I think that that's a little bit of a surrender for them, saying that you're going to need an app like that. But I do think it would make the experience better. Yeah, because the question is, where do these AirDrop files go? Presumably, if they're photos, they go in your photo stream. And if, you know, but if it's a text document, I guess I get like the open in dialog box. Yeah. yeah. And tell it, do I want it to go to ByWord or do I want it to go to something else? I guess we'll yeah. find out. I mean, it's, it's so early. Camera got some nice improvements. It's using a full screen now, which is nice. Um, 
the Sof- yeah, and they've also got some extra filters, so you can do some Instagram type things. You can take square photos, which other than Instagram, I never really understood the obsession with square photos. Um, and you can do it. You can do it all now without having to go into menus and interfaces. The reason that I like and that I use Instagram is that number one, it's kind of a informal photo sharing place where I can post photos, but it also lets me post photos with the push, you know, a single interface. It's the one place where I can post photos to Twitter or Facebook or multiple places at once. And I haven't seen that yet in, in the photo app. I mean, I can send, I can always send photos to Facebook and now you can send photos to Flickr and I can send photos to Twitter, but I think it's still different steps to do that. And I'm not a huge fan of using those filters unless it's something you want to send off right then. I, I like the idea of taking a good picture with a good camera in your phone and applying filters later if you want, but keeping that original picture looking good. I just have a feeling in a few years, all of these pictures that we took in 2013 that we wanted to look like were taken in 1970 are just going to look sad. Well, and they say you can undo the filters. Yeah. Well, that's that's good. Yeah. That's good. It probably saves the original photo. In fact, I'm sure it does. Um, Safari got some nice updates. I think most of them were were probably aesthetic in nature, but you know, of course, they're going to say it's faster and greater. the The big thing here is is flipping through tabs, which is great. But you know, just because it's been kind of bad before, I've never really kept a lot of tabs open in Safari. Yeah, well, back in the original days of the iPhone, keeping a lot of tabs in meant that Safari was going to crash on you. <laughs> but uh, so I think we all kind of trained ourselves not to use a lot of tabs. But with the the modern iPhones, you can I think you can go kind of nuts with it. There's plenty of memory in there. So we'll see. We'll see. Right, and you got a unified browser bar finally because I always type my searches into the browser bar because I'm so used to doing that now, and you know. It doesn't work now, but it will soon. Siri got some nice updates, but it really didn't get much explanation. I think they said Wikipedia now and a few other services. They didn't open it up to developers, and um, the new interface for it looks more like, frankly, the Google Voice interface. You see the bars across the bottom with the waveform as you speak. Um, For me, with Siri, the proof is in the pudding. It needs to be more reliable. And Yeah, Siri did get smart. Sorry. Go ahead. Siri did get smarter in terms of it can now flip some settings on and off. Like, why can't Siri turn my Wi-Fi on and off or turn my Bluetooth on and off? And it can do that. Yeah, now. that's actually that's a big help. And but now with the I, control panel, you don't need it as badly. <laughs> I know. Now that I don't need it, now there it, it works. Yeah. Oh. I thought the interesting thing about the mail demo was that it really shows off kind of the new aesthetic. The, you know, the typography and the icons, the icons are a lot of, um, they're, they're line drawings, you know, just simple one color. They're all this shade of blue and it's a very different look. And I suspect we're going to see that throughout a lot of apps. Yeah. We didn't really hear though about any major new features in mail though. No. Well, they had that, they have a new gesture to swipe between where you you flip from the, I believe the left side of the screen. Okay. Whoop. Do you do? Yeah. Yeah. Um, weather is pretty. (laughs) Yeah. It's pretty good summary. It's interesting. They run an animation of the weather behind the, you know, I talked earlier about the layers. I believe the, the second layer will be the animation of snow where the front layer will be the presentation of data about the local weather. And there's so many weather apps on iOS. This is just one more. 
Mine's never going to have an animation of snow. It's hard for me to get into weather because I live in Southern California. It's always kind of the same here. We don't get enough rain for me to check the weather that often. Um, and then messages, I think, got a facelift. But uh, in terms of functionality, I didn't see a whole lot different there. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I didn't feel like there was a whole lot coming out of that. But I do like that the – I never really liked the bubbles. And I, I haven't seen what they did in Mavericks on the Mac. I hope that it's they got rid of those three-dimensional bubbles there as well. It just felt so cartoonish. And I have, like, serious conversations with people in messages, and the cartoon bubbles sometimes wear on me. I don't think you can have serious conversations. In, no, but anyway. <laughs> All right, Katie. <laughs> I think you've All right. been uh, drinking too much coffee. Yes. iRadio. We've been holding off on that. Yeah, that's cool. I I was pleasantly surprised with iRadio. I, I mean, I have... Let me, let me back that up. Until... I will tell you, in, until very recently, I have not really used any of these music discovery services like Pandora or Songza or any of those. Although just this weekend, I had a case where... I was um, I was looking for a type of song, and I knew you know that that entry music to Forrest Gump where it goes da 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 da. da. Okay, yeah. uh, now we're probably going to get sued, but um, hopefully that was unrecognizable. I I wanted a piece that was kind. I knew that I liked that piece, and I wanted a piece kind of like that. So I opened up Pandora and I said, okay, I like I I like this music, and it you know so it found me other you know, piano pieces, and I thought, okay, well this is interesting, and and this has great potential for me. And I've, I've never really gotten the services like Pandora before, but when I look at people who were probably somewhere between five and 10 years younger than me, I see that, that, that many of them are primarily using services like Pandora. Might, um, like my, my brother is younger than me and his, his girlfriend, I helped her set up her Mac and she's got music on her Mac because she's got CDs that she's ripped to her PC before that. But she was just like, if you can recover that music, that'd be great. If not, no big deal. All I all I do is I listen to Pandora. Yeah, my my high schooler and her friends all use Pandora. And this is very similar to Pandora. So you pick a station, you create a station, and you hear music. It's going to have a really nice big fat buy button there so you can buy the music. If you're and, on, and you're going to be taken to Amazon to buy the music? I'm confused. No. I'm pretty sure you'll be going to Apple to buy it. And the, um, okay. It's also, if you are an iTunes Match subscriber, which I am. You, oh, that's huge. That's It's ad-free. So that's going to be really great. And I, I spent some time playing with those services just last month because I, you know, I'm, it's weird. You know, I'm 45 years old, but I, I really like exploring new music. And I can't afford to buy a lot of albums, but I, I'm not sure you know, where it is. I, there's part of me that just hates the idea of you know, I'm going to spend 120 bucks a year and as soon as I stop paying that, that subscription, I lose all that music. Where I could buy a lot of music with $120 that I could still listen to when I'm old and drooling on myself. So why wouldn't I want to buy it? So I think I'm kind of old school on this. So this is a nice mix for me. I don't have to pay any more money. I get to use a radio-like service. But you know, Spotify is better in some ways because I could download music onto my phone. So if I, I was away from a, a connection, a Wi-Fi connection, I could still listen to music. And I found some great stuff there. So I, 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 I'm not sure where to go with this thing. 
I can, I can see the case for saying, I'm not going to buy any more music. I'm just going to subscribe. And that's that. See, I don't see that happening at all for me. I, I much at this point, I still much prefer to purchase my music rather than to rent it or do one of these services. But it seems like with iRadio, I can now have the best of both worlds yeah. because I can, I can listen to these types of songs. I can see whether I really do like them. And probably about the fourth or fifth time that I listen to them and decide that, yeah, I do like this song, then I'm going to go ahead and hit the buy button. Probably 90, 95% of what I listen to, I'm not going to buy. Probably more than that. But, you know, for me, it'll probably cause me to buy a few more songs a month. Well, the way I justified it is I turned off Spotify and then I immediately bought the Miles Davis 50th anniversary all blues album. And I felt like, oh, oh. I saved money. Now I can spend it. <laughs> so I, I'm still having trouble. I'm still having trouble. Either way, this will be fun to see. I, I think that Apple has really made a lot of big changes. I thought that I'd be sitting here saying, ah, oh, it's all cosmetic. It doesn't matter. And maybe it is. And I'm just under some kind of a distortion field right now. But it, it feels to me like they've made a lot of interesting changes on the Mac in particular. It's going to change some of my workflows. And I'm looking forward to exploring those with the audience as we move forward. All this stuff is coming out in a few months, so we're going to see in the fall probably a new phone and a new iPad mini, which uh, I've heard from a lot of people that know more than me that say that there's a very good chance it'll be Retina, which I hope it is, and uh, probably a new big iPad too, and the release of iOS 7. Who knows when they're going to release OS 10 Mavericks, I guess as soon as it's ready. Maybe they'll wait and release that about the same time too. I can't wait for the iBooks to come out so my customers can get the books on the Mac too. Yeah. You better start prepping updates for your books yeah. so they can come out with it. I've actually got an update for paperless coming out this week. So that'll be fun. All right, everybody. Uh, thanks for doing a sticking along with us on a show. That's kind of out of our usual, but uh, I hope it was worth it. Yeah, I hope it was. Um, we probably won't have quite as comprehensive show notes this episode because um, JT's probably not going to have a chance to get them up because we're trying to get this episode done quickly after we record them. But in the future, you can find links to everything that we talk about over on our website, MacPowerUsers.com or at 5x5.tv slash MPU. You can send us emails to um, uh, feedback at MacPowerUsers.com. We also pay attention to Twitter where we're, we are at MacPowerUsers. Katie's at Katie Floyd, and I'm at Max Sparky. Yeah, and uh, we will see you all next time to talk about RSS. So, stay tuned.